They need our money more than ever. You have to pick an approved nonprofit organization. There's a great soup kitchen in downtown Scranton. Delicious pea soup on Thursdays. I'll probably give the money to them. Something with animals or people. Thanks for tuning into episode three. We're two episode four. Episode four. Yeah. Wow, we're already at episode four. That's wild. As two twenty somethings talk about raising charity during a pandemic. Yeah. So this is a bit of an issue close to both of our hearts. Um, we try to work with charities uh, as much as we can, and uh, if we're not working with them directly, we're trying to help out in any way we can. And it's an intriguing question. Yeah. Uh, because. Well, because it's it's a difficult time. Absolutely. COVID-19 has put a major full stop on a lot of lives. And it's had an immense impact on charities in Canada and throughout the world. Yeah. And something like this is sort of unprecedented. You know? And so this podcast, we're going to try to talk about charities and how they can best raise money and how people can best reach charities how to essentially fundraise during lockdown now many of our sources for this episode are based on numbers before may 2020 like imagine canada which provided much of the statistical information they're a charity that helps charities by supporting charities in an unofficially translated way (laughs) you know and this is because um early in the pandemic charity was a hot button issue However, now that we are over seven months, it's been seven months. That's time has flown. Yeah, it's October. We started in March and it really looks like we're just hitting the halfway mark. Yep, yep. Second wave has definitely come through um, even since filming our, I guess, our actual episode three yeah. uh, with flu and then COVID. Time has flown. So since it's been about seven months, pandemic chatter regarding charity has quieted. And this is sad because many employers have continued to be shut down, fired or furloughed, especially in the service, entertainment and food sectors. Now as phase two, phase three, then back to phase one of the pandemic continues to develop, we're definitely gonna see more places closing down, opening up and then closing down again. Now many of these families require assistance. And this is tough because what's happening with Canadian charities. Now, Canadian charities this year are predicted to suffer revenue losses upward of $15 billion by the end of 2020. Take that in. That's a happy, happy penny right there. That's a huge statistic. And and, and take this in. 20% of the charitable organizations that operate in Canada are projected not to actually survive till the end of 2020 either. Wow. That, that's huge. And and just as a disclaimer, these statistics are provided from, once again, Imagine Canada newsletter. Um, this one's dated September 24th. So this is two weeks ago. And in this letter, they were begging the government for additional support to help keep these, these charities afloat. Yeah. And I think that's especially important because charity isn't really an optional thing, you know, in, a, in an idea idealistic world, charities would not need to exist because all people who need help would be helped. But in a globalized world and a world where even local communities are ravished by poverty, uh, 
we need this benefit because there's no option. Charities can't just shut down. Yeah. And, and just something for our viewers, this is completely isolated from the topic of charities for profit. That's a podcast that's going to come down the line. It's in the pipeline. But for the, for the time being, we're just going to be referring to kind of these local charities in our community, whether they are soup kitchens, food banks, shelters, clothing um, drives, clothing drives um, even just delivering food to the elderly, whatever it is. We're talking about the local charities here on the ground that are intermingled with the community and are necessary for a lot of the members of our community to to eat another day or sleep another day with clothes on their back. Yeah, and it's actually an interesting topic because I'd agree with you, but at the same time, um, there are some medium-sized charities, charities and sectors outside of the public eye that don't stop existing because a pandemic hit, like cancer research, or things that sort of the, the diabetic charities, mm -hmm. yep. you know, the diabetes charities that does close drives in like every other parking lot. Yeah. I mean, these things don't disappear because COVID has made more people hungry. Yeah. But the, the implications of that are so far lasting. You can imagine that with everyone struggling, it's, it's harder to help other people struggling yeah. at the same time. But just, um, I just wanted to give you a quick breakdown of what we're going to be discussing today. So we're going to bring up a, a big question and it's re regarding whether, sh or I guess what should people do to help and support charities during this time? We also are going to discuss, I guess, what corporations and donors could be doing during this time better to support these charities. And we're going to bring up an ethical question of people and corporations. Um, and whether these corporations need to step up in this time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're also going to quickly discuss uh, what charities can do as well. I mean, we're not experts. Um, we're going to talk later about our involvement and our experience. But uh, this is sort of a tough question. Just like COVID, it's been really unpredictable. And so we're trying, just like anyone who's listening or all the people who run charities, around Canada, uh, trying to figure out the best way to actually fundraise. Absolutely. As we all know in March of this year, and as will be written in history textbooks for years to come, COVID has become a global pandemic. And it's led to two main societal issues. The first being, our health. And this has led to the closure of all sorts of workplaces, schools, restaurants, um, barbershops, you name it. And those are slowly s trying to recover, at least the ones that were able to stay afloat during that time. And then I guess the second big issue is that goes hand in hand with that, and that's employment. And employment has hit, or unemployment has hit a crazy level. Take this statistic in. 13.7% decrease wow. in employment wow. due to the pandemic. So that's that's the highest percentage unemployment since 1982. Yeah, and you put that number one and that number two together, the closure of businesses and nice. unemployment together, and that facilitates the need for charities. Yeah, and now actually looking at the charitable sector, which 
actually also employs 10% of the full-time workforce in Canada. So one in 10 people. And it rep represents also 8% of the country's uh, GDP. Wow. So amongst that, one in five organizations have either suspended operations or ceased programs as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, referring back to that Imagine Canada report, many charities have even closed their doors. Compared to the recession of 2008, twice as many charities have seen a negative impact on their bottom line as a result of COVID. Yeah, so I have some statistics here. Um, apparently today I'm the stat man because I've been just yeah. studying statistics. But event-based fundraising, that's decreased 12% across charities. Now, other fundraisers or donations, that's also decreased 15%. Now, this is huge. Earned income by these charitable organizations, that's decreased from 70% of total revenue I guess is what that would make sense in business terms, yeah. Heidi, correct me. 32%, it's decreased to 38% of what it should be. In-person solicitation, that's decreased 34%. Income from investment has also decreased. So this is your corporation's donations to keeping these charities afloat. That's decreased about 1%. But I guess the question we're gonna pose later is, should these corporations compensate for other losses? And finally, this stat boggled us. We were trying to figure out what it meant. Um, it's yeah. classified as other revenue source. So we looked into the report. We couldn't figure out what this means. We imagine it would be sort of miscellaneous uh, revenue. So a lot of charities do door to door, other types of uh, work that might just not be possible during COVID. It could also, be due to the increased costs perhaps which we'll get into in a little bit yep uh but yeah that percentage went down 46 percent. so it's dismal 14 percent now down from 60 percent that's huge and i imagine a lot of that might have to do with uh maybe government tax breaks or subsidies maybe um in-kind donations i know a lot of corporations maybe won't donate money, but with Project Ramadan, Sergeant Farms gave the food bank, uh, Muslim Welfare Center, chicken in kind, at least to my knowledge. Yeah, no, for sure. So a lot of corporate donors will donate with product rather than money, especially to local charities where their only corporate donors can be local restaurants or other affluent businesses in the area. So, but yeah, you sort of... Um, you hit it right on the head. It's essentially, it's in really rough shape. The sector's in rough shape. Revenues are down, but the demand on charities have gone up. Seven in 10 charities have laid off 84,000 full and part-time staff. That's crazy. That's a crazy statistic because what that tells us is that now these 84,000 full-time and part-time staff are going to be potentially reliant on whether it be charity or government aid or whatever it is because now their job is gone yeah i think i think a common misconception is everyone that works for a charity works for free as a volunteer and the reality is for a lot of these major charities or these charitable organizations they have to receive some sort of salary to keep it afloat yeah for sure and and going back to my earlier comments about charities for profit just because a company pay or a charity pays P 
people that work for it doesn't make it a charity for profit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a big distinction that we need to make when talking about the fact that these 84,000 staff are being laid off. Yes, for sure. Now, I um, guess, sorry, I don't mean to, to cut you off, but to keep on going on my tangent, um, for organizations that depend heavily, heavily on events, uh, the enforced social distancing has created a disaster. At what should be the height of its fundraising season, for example, the Canadian Cancer Society projected a $20 million loss in April alone. Yeah, and April's a tough month because as we talked about, this sort of blew up in mid-March. Yep. March 14th, I think, was the weekend, at least in Canada, where everything started to shut down. Now, we're going to talk about how charities can be handling this moving forward, but at the time, it blindsided everybody. You know, I remember thinking this isn't going to be a global pandemic. Yeah. You know, you hear it's a cold, you hear uh, this many people have gotten it, but soon it became a reality. Yeah. People were scared. Yep. I think as soon as we saw what was going on in England and the UK and I guess in Europe, yeah, after, I think that's when things started to really go downhill for everyone globally. And these charities. I think that that's when they really started to tank. Yeah. And from that point of mid-March, suddenly we're faced with April, May, June, where these charities who had plans, who had budgets, who had an understanding of what they liked the year to be, who've had meetings with tons of staff and volunteers who are passionate about the project and what the charity is doing, they all had to pivot and try to figure something else out. And that's really tough when charities all around the world are trying to do that. So, I mean, it's interesting you brought that up because you and I in March, April, May, and leading up to it in the early 2020 and late 2019, we were planning events for Project Ramadan. Yeah, and fundraising. And this is a lot of our um, experience of how it sort of led to us thinking now moving into the next year and looking at COVID as it looks like it won't subside anytime soon, um, how charities can continue to try to fundraise in this new normal. Yeah. I mean, just to give you a little bit of context and background, Project Ramadan is a, um, is a charity that operates out of Southern Ontario. And what we do is we work with our, I guess, parent organization, the Muslim Welfare Center, which is a food bank based out of Toronto. And what they do is they collect donations, um, food donations, non-perishable items, and distribute them to members of the community. So every Ramadan, Project Ramadan, works with the Muslim Welfare Center to distribute food baskets to members of the community, irrespective of race, creed, ethnicity, in order to help the community, of course, but also to spread this Ramadan joy that we are grateful that we get to experience and we went from planning weekly basket builds we'd call them with hundreds of community volunteers to me and Hattie with one or two other people trying to fit social distancing guidelines building these baskets on our own with donations that we didn't receive and that's a that's a direct example of how 
yes, maybe we're not staff, we were volunteers. Everyone in the organization for the most part is a volunteer, but even the number of volunteers able to work on this initiative was reduced because of social distancing guidelines. And that had a clear and heavy impact on the organization. Yeah, and the amount we were able to produce, for sure. So we already talked a bit about the implications, but let's get into it a little bit more. So there was a survey of charitable organizations in Canada and take this in, 48% of them didn't believe that they would survive six to 12 months. So almost 50% of these charitable organizations thought that their doors would be shut by the end, by the end of 2020. And that's just, once again, I'm highlighting this over and over again, the pandemic has hit with a vengeance on these charities. And while these lockdowns are necessary, the knock-on effect is that as demand increases for services offered by charities, the charity itself may be fighting for survival. And that's sort of paradoxical, right? Because they're both more sort of moving in opposite ways. Now, uh, using an example, uh, during Ramadan, those months when those volunteer rates were really low, they only allowed certain uh, a couple people every weekend. Sometimes uh, me and you would go there and what we saw was actually, uh, it was really sad. So uh, around that time when toilet paper was sort of being uh, swept off every shelf. Yep, apparently everyone needed eight bags of toilet paper and I guarantee you till this day, those people haven't gone past the first. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> depending on your toilet paper use and if you're getting the big cost of samples. No, for sure. But um, people were afraid. So it led to this sort of overreaction by the public. And I guess the concept of fear and how we all react irrationally to fear um, is a topic in its own. What it did lead to was an increased demand on other ways of getting products. So um, food banks, for example, is the example that we saw. Now, food bank lines were out the door, but we could only make probably one fifth of the baskets we would make on a regular volunteer day. So just think about that um, dichotomy there. On one hand, people want and need more, more resources. But on the other hand, due to the same thing that is causing that, charities itself are suffering and they cannot provide that. So demand has increased and supply has decreased. And looking at that purely economically, that, I mean, if you did the supply demand graph, that would just almost look like two parallel lines shifting away from each other. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it's not sustainable. And that, that just goes to show why these charities don't think they're gonna survive. Um, Food Banks Canada CEO, Chris Hatch. Yeah, what is he said that the organization anticipates a 50% spike in people needing assistance and the group has seen a comparable surge in giving, which so, is a good thing. So when this initially popped off, there, there was an increase in giving. Of course, yes, because a lot of people sat there wondering how they can help. You know, it's people realizing that their life was put on pause, meaning so many other people's lives were put on pause and wondering how they can help. But unfortunately, it seems like this wasn't sustained. And this is my subjective yeah. opinion. I don't, I, I know this, the, the stats are reflecting this, the stats that we're presenting, but it seemed like even on social media, a lot of the hype behind a lot of the um, new 
COVID related charities and just yeah. uh, fundraising initiatives kind of decreased over the course of COVID. It seemed yeah. like just like the COVID hype of everyone being super scared died down eventually and people became complacent. They'd come outside again and pretend like everything was normal. Exactly. And I think people had that false sense of security and that kind of led to them not feeling that the demand was there for these charities. But just because we were able to, in our fortunate circumstances, go out and go to the park and still enjoy part of our summer, these charities were still suffering the aftermath of their food shortages, for example. And the unemployment rate continuing to be high. I mean, people were getting government subsidies, so that was allowing them to pay for stuff. But um, a lot of times, those subsidies wouldn't be enough, right? It would only give minimal benefit. And especially when some people can't. Um, Some people can't really uh, support themselves on that much or their families. Now, not all charities, though, did benefit from like a plethora of donors. Smaller charities that service vulnerable uh, committees can face an uphill battle when it comes to getting the help they need. Now, on top of that, that surge that may have happened in that two months, that was worldwide. And globalization has reduced local charities' impact because larger multinational charities maintain support, viewership, and sponsorship to be able to market internationally, preventing smaller local charities from being able to meet their quotas and retain their budget. Now, all of that sort of amalgamates into the fatigue that we then face in months three and four, and five and six and seven. People are sick of COVID. They're over it. They're sick of seeing this charity that needs to be donated to and this and this and this. Everyone's, well, not everybody, but there is a large portion of people that are on their home, on social media, um, browsing the internet and Essentially, charities have basically only been using that route to reach out. There have been other methods, but they're not as successful. So maintaining that viewership and maintaining that customer engagement has been really hard, especially in this crowded marketplace. Absolutely. It's been incredibly expensive and detrimental to the, the outreach capability of these charities. Once again, hitting you with some more stats, um, at least with the onset of COVID, surveys suggested that 87% of charities canceled group meetings and events. And that, that's huge. That's wow. We're talking about, for example, imagine AA meetings being canceled or meetings where... Yeah, just the charity themselves, the people who are among the executive team needing to meet, like our charity. Absolutely. Uh, we weren't able to meet and we met much less frequently and we still haven't really... And, and much less efficiently, yeah. Yeah, it's for much- sure. And a lot of people can't make it. It's a lot tougher. But that one sort of makes sense. Yeah. I mean almost 90%, but we can't really get into groups. So that sort of makes sense. Exactly, yeah. But with that, public offices were closed. 70% of them were. Really? So imagine you now need to go to this organization to register yourself. You can't do this because the office is closed. And on top of that, 50% of, of these organizations restrict had restricted staff and client access. Yeah. So now imagine wow. going to a food bank where you normally collect a week's worth of of goods for your family because you just got laid off and now access is restricted. You can't actually access it. Where there was every two, there's one. So that only adds to the crowding. And on top of that, these organizations need to function with Canadian health guidelines. 
Meaning yeah, that they increased ones, right? With COVID. Absolutely. So now they have cleaning protocols already on such a short bottom line. Yeah. So their costs only increase. It's 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 been it's it's been so difficult for these for these charities. And and aside from cost, you also have this inability to engage volunteers to make sure that volunteers are educated knowledgeable and able to handle this crisis and also comfortable to to work we experienced working with muslim welfare center just a a reduced i guess ambition to for some volunteers to participate solely because they were trying to protect their family members at home or were afraid of getting sick or whatever it is but that on top of the cash flow issues leads to this horrible sphere for the whole site for the whole sector i guess yeah for sure for sure and uh that's really affected volunteers and charities alike these added costs i mean for charities they're actual physical dollars but for volunteers that's a cost too you know there's a major cost that volunteers have had to deal with because uh now as you said um, they have to be worrying about their families and their jobs and their everyday life on top of the time they spend devoting to charity. So you heard a lot about, I guess, the, the climate of charities and the crisis that it faces, but you might be listening and wondering, hey, how can, what, what can you do to help? And We've come up with a, I guess, like a five point. Yeah. It is influenced, especially by uh, documentation that we've seen online. Uh, but I think it's important to push out what can people really do to help these charities. Yeah. So firstly, begin with your values and the causes that are dear to you and that you may have a personal connection with. Think about what sort of impact you want to have and find the charity based on that. And th- th- that kind of goes without saying. Number two, like any investment, do your homework to ensure the charity is registered and provides the support you're interested in. You may even want to get personally involved, join the board, and have a hand in the decision making. Thirdly, tax receipts are nice, however, rarely the driving force for giving. Yet it still may make sense to chat with an advisor to ensure both you and the charity are getting the biggest bang for your buck. But keep in mind, it's not super easy correct me if i'm wrong to get charitable tax status and just because a charity doesn't have charitable tax status doesn't mean it isn't a worthy cause a not-for-profit many not-for-profits do incredible work and a lot of the reason not-for-profits can't claim that charity status is because of maybe a globalized reach like our friends at rootworks um do work in africa and because of that and i think a, a great deal of the reason that they can't achieve that charitable tax status is because of sort of the foreign benefit it gives rather than domestic. Absolutely. So once again, just do your research. And I think this is the single most important thing on this list. It isn't always about the money you can give. I'm a student. I don't have a lot of extra money. So I can't really donate too much to charities. But what I can do is donate my time, I can spread awareness, and you'll be surprised how far that can go. 
if you're sitting there and your social media account has hundreds, some of you have thousands of followers, Ooh. a simple share and genuine curiosity into what the organization does can go a yeah. really long way. Yeah, and I like to think about it. I mean, I'm one who um, tended not to try to, I mean, I wasn't very active on social media, but when I looked at charities, I used to, uh, when people were supporting charities, I used to look at it like it was like a, a brag, a humble brag in some yeah. way when people are promoting that. But then I thought about it on a more simplistic level. Everyone's circle is a Venn diagram to mm. another person. Yep. And so what you show your people, they could show their people and their people would be different than your people. And so that continues to, to spread. And that's the power of word of mouth. Exactly. So in a crisis like this, survival becomes nearly impossible when these revenues are snatched, demanding costs increase, and the entire operating model built on close contact or large gatherings are up and suspended, stopped. Charities will need to change to survive this pandemic and to hopefully come out on the other side more resilient. However, the cost of innovation and change can be a blind spot Canadians have when we talk about how we support our charities. Now, the cost of innovation and change for volunteers and people trying to help charities is high, but the cost that charities face is higher and charities need to be doing some things too during COVID. And this is something that we're thinking about. So this is by no means a correct five steps to success for charities. But I think this is five steps that we believe if charities were to follow during this time can lead to more success and higher fundraising, especially during this pandemic. Now, advanced preparation is key. In hindsight, you know, the government should have uh, let people know about the severe onset of COVID before March. But this lesson has great implications for anticipating the possible resurgence throughout winter and next year. I mean, we're back basically back in phase one and it's uh, October. So it's been seven months just to sort of start over. And that is a lesson for us. Project Ramadan, for example, is during the month of Ramadan. So we weren't prepped because we prepped late because we didn't expect this, but now we know what's going to happen. So we should be working now, you know, like now. Yeah. And that's something we're trying to do. And that's TBD. But it, it's important to sort of anticipate and it be um, uh, prepped for this continue continuing to be the normal. Now, number two, speed over perfection. Just do what you can as soon as you can. Be innovative, but know that consistency will be key. Events are gonna be smaller. Viewership is harder to maintain, but doing twice the amount of events and posts on social media can raise your chances. Absolutely. Now, number three, you gotta be flexible with how you fund. A crisis like this requires the increased level of flexibility to allocate those resources. How can people donate? Is all the donation centers consolidated? Is it confusing? Where is your audience? How do you contact them? Where do you see them? What's the easiest route for funding for everyone? Simplicity is key. Yeah, for sure. And with that simplicity comes transparency. So you gotta be transparent. Um, you gotta be transparent with where the money is going and why. So talking back about our friends at Rootworks, when I made my donation earlier this year, they made sure to let me know as soon as possible via a call and a text 
whether or not I wanted it to go to meal distribution, to cat, flour, or flour and oil. Now that's important. They also released a video sort of outlining the project. And I think that's an important step for a lot of people to follow. That can go a long way. I mean, how many times have you donated to a random charity, for example, that's outside of the mosque or- Yeah, something on launch good or- Yeah, or even here, for example, I, I this happens a lot where I'm downtown and there's representatives of charities lining Bay Street and Young Street and wherever it is where all the people are flowing through and they want to pitch me this charity. Uh, sorry, pitch me this this charity that I should buy into. And you sit there and you ask them kind of where, where does the money go? And there's, they can't really show you. They can tell you, yeah. but they can't show you. And I think for these charities, if, you, if you're listening in, showing the impact of your volunteer, your benefactors, your donators dollars and showing where they go and kind of the impact it has on the community can go a long way. And I think that's really lacking in a lot of, in, in a lot of charities, or maybe they'll just show these videos of, of impoverished families and say, Oh, this is where your money's going and we'll call it a day. And that, yeah, that, that's and not, that, that definitely plays into the, the final part, which is, um, the, uh, how open and current the data needs to be. So, People want to help, but sometimes they don't know. So tell them, tell them when you're having an online event, remind them, remind them again, remind them again. You know, it needs to be current and it needs to be open. And those are some things that we think that if charities were to follow, it could lead to charities having a bigger impact um, fundraising during this lockdown. So now sort of moving towards our side question. It sort of leans as in our previous episodes on ethics and morality. And when I was thinking about the ethical implications of this time in pandemic, I thought a lot about what corporate responsibility should be. So more specifically, corporate social responsibility. So not restaurants or companies that are shutting down, but big corporations uh, multinational corporations that have the means to help, even if their profits may be declining. Yep. And often these corporations will already have prior financial commitments. So every year they'll say, you know what, we're going to donate. I don't know how it works. Let's say like 1% of net profits after everyone's paid, blah, 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 yeah. blah. We're going to commit that to you guys every year and we'll sign a contract on that. So that's that's kind of what we're referring to. Yeah, Correct me if I'm wrong, that's how no, it works. Yeah, for sure. And actually with charities that have the charitable tax status, uh, this can be beneficial to, beneficial to companies too. So uh, you're right. Companies have prior commitments to certain charitable organizations that they try to help every year. Now, to what extent should corporations have to help charities they already donate to when those charities need more funding, like to what extent? Because um, say they are gonna get 5 million, just as a vague example. Yep. Now this charity has led to losses of income, uh, an increased amount of, um, an increased amount of uh, customers, I guess, clientele that come in that need their services. You know, whether that be at a halfway home or at a food bank, uh, there may be more. Um, coming in. So they might need more funding in turn. Although that there was a previous commitment with these corporations, 
should they have any social responsibility to try to give more? And that same thing applies with government. Government is trying to help people, but I don't think to charities, I mean, uh, I know that this Imagine Canada um, group is trying to increase government involvement uh, because, you know, there's a case there. And I know the government's tied thin because they've had to give money to every other person. But I mean, I think, I think in terms of, is there responsibility for corporations? I think to some extent there is, but I think the onus really falls on the government to take care of its people. And I think trying to get a corporation to commit to something more than they initially agreed to, I can see how that would create problems. I think they should like as, as citizens of the nation that the corporation has a headquarters in, they should feel some sort of moral responsibility and obligation to the people of that community. But I really think the onus falls on the government. I guess the big issue is where does the government get the money from? Yeah. And a lot of that comes from corporations, right? As well. But uh, I agree with you. I think the government should do more, but it's trying to do a lot. And I'm not saying it's doing it very effectively or efficiently. I think they're learning just like us. And I think that brought to light the fact that they are learning just like us. I used to think the government knew what they were doing, but COVID was an obvious example. New data came in every day saying that the health restrictions should be different or uh, the requirements to in, or, uh, in order to receive benefits should be different. And uh, while that all may be true, I think there is an element of uh, responsibility for these corporations. And that brings to question the ethical dilemma of should it be less about profit and more about maintaining jobs and maintaining good local communities? Now, corporations tend to work under a model which is maximize shareholder wealth, uh, at least Western uh, corporations, uh, corporations in the Western world like Canada and the US. Should that pivot during this time in order to help uh, sort of the greater good? Uh, I'd agree with you. I think the onus does fall on the, on the government. But I would also say that corporations, in any way they can, they should be trying to do what they can. You know, I mean, if we don't come together as a greater community, uh, there can be heavy losses on all sides. Absolutely. And I think that's where government and corporations should work together. I think if, if corporations are a source of liquidity, if that makes sense, if they have cash that can be used by these charities, the government can work just like the government's writing legislation on the fly every single day to deal with this pandemic. They can also write legislation to maybe give corporations who donate beyond their initial contracts and commitments, extra tax breaks, something that comes in down the line. It's interesting because ideally, yeah, that would be the case. But if there are tax breaks and that like it's sort of weird because but I that, guess the idea is we can pay for that later let's deal with yeah, the problem now that's the idea right if there are tax breaks then that's less money going to the government in the time of need so it would have to be something in between maybe bonds or another way to sort of uh, give these companies a reason but even if there isn't a reason i mean it's still a responsibility and i think ethically we sort of stand on the same way that regardless of profit and making money the government and corporations should be trying to do whatever they can to sort of help everybody absolutely
earlier in the podcast, we brought up instances, particularly with our work with Project Ramadan. It's something that's, as we've mentioned, near and dear to our hearts, um, both Patty and I. And I guess I wanted to end the podcast. We wanted to end the podcast speaking a little bit about our own experiences with Project Ramadan and kind of how... COVID has impacted Project Ramadan on an organizational level and kind of how we plan to dig ourselves out of it. Yeah, and sort of the inspiration of this podcast as well, why we've been thinking about it, especially since we got to start prepping for next year. Exactly. So just a little preface, this was our first year with Project Ramadan in an executive capacity. We'd been involved previous years, um, just doing uh, general member, I guess, volunteer work with Project Ramadan. But due to those experiences in prior years, we wanted to um, we wanted to play a bigger role and and have a have a larger and be a more integral aspect to the impact in the community that Project Ramadan has every year. So we joined an executive capacity in October of last year, and we got started working in events and advertising and trying to secure corporate sponsorships and having all sorts of brainstorming meetings on how to fundraise between May and June. But dun, 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 little did we know what was coming. Yeah. When COVID-19 came in March, it halted everything we were trying to do. Events were canceled. Mesjids that would give us what they were able to get during Friday prayers were closed. So Jamaz were closed and donations were halted. Corporate sponsors, some, especially since we were a smaller group, closed down and weren't able to support us. Our big volunteer Saturdays where people come and fast while they prepare baskets for local um, charities uh, outside of ours, we do even have beneficiaries that we would ship our baskets to, were halted as well. To a point where like, where 100 volunteers may have come in years prior, for a Saturday event, that was brought down to five with social distancing and cleaning in effect. And our overall fundraising goal was nowhere in reach. But it's important to know that we're learning too. I mean, outside of us two, there are plenty of other people that are a part of this group and are equally passionate. We're brainstorming and trying to follow our own advice. We're trying our best to efficiently donate and help charities as just members of our community and work to help the charity we are involved in fundraise to the best of its ability during this pandemic. And I think that's sort of the greater idea here is we're just trying our best and everyone should be too. And a lot of people are, and this is the new normal. So uh, we all got to pivot. Yep, you, you, you either, have, you, you got to adapt. There's, we've, we've been able to adapt in so many different ways and Life goes on and we need to be in this together. Um, as much as at the end of the day, you're worried about yourself, making sure that your family has food on the table, making sure that with winter coming, you're able to keep your family warm. It's important to also understand that no matter how fortunate you are, there are other people less fortunate and that need will always be there. Yeah, and us coming together as a community to help everyone around us is sort of a bright spot because if we can do this then charity sort of becomes a piece of cake in our future normal when we get back to what we're so used to
Thank you for listening to episode four of Unofficial Translation. I didn't know we were doing a half seat thing. We were doing a half seat thing. Oh, it worked out. You have been Hattie, signing 